0: All right. Well, let's uh, let's begin tonight together. Welcome to all of you who are here in the house, and to those of you who are tuned in online, or will catch this message at some point in the future. Welcome to Wednesday night Bible study, worship, fellowship, reaching, teaching, connecting. Whatever we do, whatever the Holy Spirit wants us to do, we will do tonight. But you know, uh, as I typically say when I start, uh, we can't do anything by ourselves. We can't even do anything with each other without the presence and the leading of the Holy Spirit. But with him, we have the mind of Christ. With him, we have the leading of the Holy Spirit. Uh, with him, we can do all things. And with him, God's will can be done. So let's ask him, invite him, welcome him in prayer. And uh, pray with me. You know, don't, it's not a routine to start a message with a prayer. It's, it's you know, as, as I speak, vocally speak within your hearts what comes to your mind. All right? Father, we we come to you in the name of Jesus. We come washed in his blood, precious, cleansing blood. We come clothed in his righteousness. And so we come boldly to your throne of grace because you've invited us when we come in him. We come hungry and thirsty for you, for your word, for your direction, for your leading, for your teaching. Because, Father, you, you know all things. You know what's today. You know what's tomorrow. You know what's been. You know. And you know us. Even to the dividing of our soul and our spirit, you know us. You know what we need. We don't. So, Father, thank you that you would be here tonight in our midst by your Holy Spirit to light up your word in our hearts, to stir us to action, to stir us to holiness, to stir us to godliness, that that we would be more like you when we leave through these doors than when we came in. For we know the time is short when you return. And you said when you would return, we would be like you. (laughs) So thank you, Father, that you, by your Spirit, would anoint the teaching, the reading of the word, the hearing, and the all important doing of what it is you tell us tonight. I know in my heart that you have a message for us tonight. It's a singular message for the church, and there's individual messages within it for each and every one of us. So let us all who have ears hear what the Spirit is saying tonight to us, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can almost just keep going in that vein. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. All right, so we're ministering again on the last days, in the last days, so those of you who were... Heard the message from a month ago. We started on this topic in the last days. This is part two. There will be a third part in June, as it turns out. Um, I never really know these things until the Lord leads me along a path. Um, But but we have two key scriptures, and I'm going to do not an extensive review, but I'm going to touch on the things we reviewed last month because some of you may not have caught the message earlier on. And I want to make sure we're on the same ground as we go forward tonight two key scriptures the first is from second timothy three uh verses one through five um yes thank you um so but know this that in the last days we are the last days in the last days perilous times will come for men will be lovers of themselves lovers of money boasters proud blasphemers disobedient to parents unthankful unholy Unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness, but, but denying its power, and from such people turn away, Paul writes to his, his uh, protege, Timothy. And our second verse is in Second Peter also in chapter 3, in the first five verses, um, will read, Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. So again, when we started last month, we started talking about the last days and we said, are we in the last days? And I read to you several scriptures, which I'm going to share again with you tonight, uh, that verify that we are indeed in the last days. And most of you testified last time that you felt we were. But we don't go by feelings, right? We go by what the Spirit tells us and what the Word tells us. And the Word clearly tells us that we are in the last days. But the interesting thing is, is when did the last days begin? What was the beginning of the last days? And so what we see from the Scriptures is the beginning of the last days was actually when Jesus came to the earth. That was the beginning of the last days. Sounds like a lot of last days, and it is. But we'll get to that in a little later on in the message. A couple of Scriptures Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 2. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to our fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom he has made the world's. So Hebrews is addressing that when Christ came in these last days. But it doesn't stop with Jesus. It continues on with the church age. And, and Peter talks about this in Acts chapter, chapter 2 in the day of Pentecost. And, and starting in verse 14, and by the way, if you're not aware, all of my scriptures are uh, New King James Version. So um, if you're curious to follow along, that's what I'm reading from. Acts chapter 2, 14 to 17. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words, for these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only a third hour of the day. but, But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel, and it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit. On all flesh, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy; your young men shall see visions; your old men shall dream dreams. And as I meditated on this a little bit, and I thought, again, as typical of of my style, I want to dig a little deeper. Did in these last days simply mean the day that Peter was talking, like you know, recently in the in the in the past, you know, in the past couple of you know the events we just witnessed in the last days? So I wanted to dig into a little bit more. I said, let's go take a look at it because he was quoting out of the book of Joel. Right, so so if we go to Joel chapter two, and, and we read the scriptures that Peter quoted, uh, chapter two, 28 and twenty nine, it says, "It shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men young men shall see visions. And also on my men servants and my maid servants I will pour out my spirit in those days." So Joel didn't even say in these last days or the last days or the coming last days or the future. So I'm like, okay, well, what's the context here? So you have to read into the book a little bit more. And uh, when he says in the, it shall come to pass afterwards, then you need to read the preceding verses in Joel to understand what he's referring to, right? And we're not going to read all of Joel or anything. But, but he talks about a time period of poverty or lack followed by a time period of repentance which then is followed by a period of abundance and refreshing in the Lord. And then he quotes those scriptures that we just read. So how do we know the prophet is talking about the last days? If we read the subsequent verses, slow down here, Joel chapter 2, verses 30 to 32, immediately following the scripture we know from Acts, um, Joel says this, "And and I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be deliverance, as the Lord has said, among the remnant who the Lord will call. So clearly he's saying that in the last days the Lord will pour out his spirit on all flesh and then... Well, at the end of that time, we'll see the awesome and terrible day of the Lord. So clearly, Joel is prophesying of these last days in this verse. And Peter quoted it correctly in context with, with, uh, with his sermon in Acts. And of course, he did. He was led by the Holy Spirit. So why should we even doubt, right? But for me, the inquiry in mind, I had to dig a little deeper. So I got to share that with you. Uh, so it, it is in the last days for sure that we're at. And some of the scriptures, I'll skip over Matthew, but in Matthew, Jesus talks about what happens to the sun uh, and, and the moon and, and just before the Son of Man appears. And, and he uses similar verbiage as Joel did when Jesus talks about this. So, so we're very much in the last days. The last days started when Jesus walked on the earth. The last days will end when Jesus comes again. So when Peter uh, wrote his book, Second Peter, and when Paul wrote his book, Second Timothy, um, they were in the last days, so, so when we read those verses about men will become lovers of themselves and, and lovers of money and, 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 and so forth and so on, that was happening then, and it makes sense, right? I mean, that's you know, the, the contemporary world that they lived in. People were living like people do who don't know God. And when there's pressure or, or religious pressure that comes upon them, all the more that darkness arises, right? So when Peter and Paul wrote these books, um, it was pretty bad. And now when we sit here in our our 2023 and we're thinking, how could it be worse? It may not. It's going to get worse. It's going to get worse. But we're still in these last days, but we're much closer to that day when Christ comes back than when we were, uh, when they were, when they wrote these uh, letters. So, yeah, you guys are okay. We're in the last days. Everyone agrees. And we're closer to the last of the last days than we were when the letters were written. So a little bit of quick review and background there. So so these two letters were written. Second Timothy was written to Timothy um, by the Apostle Paul, and Second Peter, which we're going to talk about tonight, uh, was obviously written by the Apostle Peter. They were, they were both um, written by uh, men, men of God, apostles. Peter, of course, was one of the 12. Paul was not. Um, but they were both written in the mid-60s A.D., uh, they are both written as the last letters that we have in our, in our Bible uh, from these mighty men of God, Paul and Peter, two of the greats, right? So they have authority. They command authority. They are both written from prison, in different prison locations, uh, but both in Rome and, and uh, in a similar time period. And both knew that they knew that they knew that they were going to be martyred soon. So this was like, you know, who they were writing to Church of God, Church of the Lord Jesus Christ, wake up and pay attention. I've got to get this out. If there's anything else that I've got to say, you've got to hear this one thing. There's a sense of urgency when you read these two letters um, that they didn't have before and there's a conciseness to it and a focus to it. Why am I writing these to these people now? And that's what we're trying to study. That's what the Lord wants to bring out. And we talked at length about, about this a little bit uh, last, last month. So, so it's their final exhortations, and, and last month we talked a lot about 2 Timothy, which was written by Paul to Timothy, who of course was a leader of the church in Ephesus, so he had authority over the churches in, in Ephesus, and, and, um, and uh, tonight we're going to talk about 2 Peter and uh, who he is and, how, and what he was writing, and where there's obvious parallels, I'll connect the two. Uh, And then where there's differences, we'll continue on through Peter. But there's some really strong emphasis in here. And as I was sort of kibitzing before we started tonight, um, don't think about this like a a survey or like a Bible study Uh, because the Lord has some very particular emphasis that he wants to have for each of us tonight. He's got something to shake us up tonight and I need you all to listen closely as to what that is Uh, because the last days are shorter and shorter. He's coming again uh, and God wants to see some change uh, in the in the short term, so that He can come again. You with me on that? All right. Let's see what He has to say. So, Second Peter. First of all, who is Peter? We'll start with Second Peter one one, um, and he introduces himself as the author Simon Peter, a bond servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ. So, so the author is Peter. We know Peter. Right? He was the first of the twelve to be picked. Him and his brother Andrew, then James and John, generally that 's the uh that 's the order that we see in the gospels. Um, so, so we know he was one of the 12, and we know that between Peter, James, and John, he was one of the three closest to Jesus. So this man, when he writes, we should look and pay attention. What, what does he have to say, right? Because this is who this is who is writing to us. Sometimes when we read these, these letters and we read them over and over, we're like, okay, where am I in my one-year Bible plan? Oh, this is Second Peter. Okay, I, you know, you And you, sometimes it's good to stop and think, who is writing this? Right? Who, who is this person that's delivering this message to me? And uh, what does he have to say? Why should I listen to him? Well, this is who he is. Right? And what's interesting here is that now Simon Peter, he addresses himself as a bond servant. A bondservant is essentially a slave. He's, he's somebody who has chosen to have no other God but Jesus. He's decided that him, his flesh, no subservient to the Lord. His his ego, subservient to the Lord. His his desire, subservient to the Lord. The devil, subservient to the Lord. There's no other, even to the point of being crucified, and legend has it, he was crucified upside down. Even to the point of his own body, subservient to the Lord. He's a bondservant, and he's pleased to say that. He has put himself under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, and that's where he's going to stand. Even though he's in prison, Imprisoned by the Romans who were persecuting Christians and he knew his end was coming. He wasn't caving for nothing. And that's important because the world is getting to a place where we may be faced with similar kinds of persecution in a more contemporary way. And we need to know that we are servants of Christ and that Lord Jesus, he is the only authority in our lives. Our bank accounts, not our authority. Our circumstances are not authority. The offenses that we suffered, not an authority. It's Jesus. So Peter is a bondservant, and he's submitting to the Lord. And he's writing now to, to this audience that he calls uh, uh, of, of like precious faith. Did I read that scripture yet? Um, yeah, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of God our Savior. So, so he's writing to the church uh, at large. You know, we have like precious faith as Peter. We need to think about ourselves as being as faithful as Peter is and was. And that we all should be bond servants too. So he's writing to them. But then we see also in Second Peter three one, uh, he says, you know, um, he he says, I write to you this second epistle. So we know this is second Peter in um, both of which he stirred our minds up to, in way of reminder, meaning that the first epistle was, this is a follow-up to the first epistle. In the first epistle, we know that he wrote to the churches of the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontius and Galatia and Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. So, so he has a very specific targeted audience, places where he's ministered before and brought the word in the past and written to following up. Now he's writing to them again, but again, this letter is written to us. So need to look at that as a personal letter from the Apostle Peter through the Holy Spirit to, to us. So let's see what Peter has to say. Um, so first thing we see in Second Peter chapter one, we'll read first two through four. He exhorts us to diligence in the life of godliness. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God. I want you to pay attention to that last bit where it says having escaped because we're going to see that again later on tonight. But first, let's see what Peter's exhorting us to. He's stating the fact that we need to have a life of godliness. God has given us everything we need to have a life of godliness. When you think about how you walked around this this week, how much of your time was godly? the way you think of god and the way you think of yourself how much of your time was godly the way the world could see god in you the world needs to see god in us we need to have that life of godliness look i mean we were created by god right we and he made us in his image and in his likeness genesis you guys know And and so so not only were we created in His image and likeness, the Apostle Paul in Acts seventeen he says he says we're God's he says directly specifically we are God's offspring, we're His children. We know that right? We call God Abba Father. So so His Spirit is in us, His divine nature is in us. What a promise! The world needs to see it. Godliness. This is a promise that you cannot lose sight of. And I think the way Peter's writing this, the way I see it is he's saying, you guys started off strong, but now a bit of time has gone by and me, your hero, is in jail and I'm about to be crucified and things are slowly slipping back to the way they were. No, you need to be a bondservant of Christ and allow the Lord who is in you to live out of you. Jesus on the inside, working on the outside. It's a song, right? What a feeling it is, you know. But I'm not going to sing. <laughs> All right, so let's move on to this exhortation because this is really powerful. Uh, 2 Peter 1, 5 through 9 says, but also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours, and abound, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, for he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. So Peter exhorts us to give all diligence. Hopefully you all heard Verda last week. Verda talked about the Ten versions. If you remember the the parable of the ten virgins and five were wise and five were foolish. And she said that the the five wise ones had extra oil with them. It's not the extra virgin olive oil you buy in the store, but it is extra oil that the virgins have. A little different. You can't buy the Holy Spirit. Just ask Simon the sorcerer. Uh, But but no, they had extra oil. And I love the way she described it. She said... This comes from the wise who are diligent. Diligent in their walk. Diligent in their prayer life. Diligent in the word. Diligent to to live out what what the Lord has been telling them. That extra oil that then allowed them into the bridegroom's uh, wedding feast because they were diligent. Uh, This is what the word of God is telling us. Because he told us last Wednesday, he's telling us again tonight, we've got to be diligent we have to be diligent to, to follow through on these things. And, and if we're diligent, then we know that we will not be unfruitful. So as we talk about being fruitful, what does that mean? Well, God wants us to, be, to bear fruit, John chapter 15, and fruit that remains. What kind of fruit's going to remain are people who come to Christ. We will remain, and heaven and earth will pass away. So the only fruit that remains is converts to Jesus Christ. And we need to be fruitful. So how do you go from, from just learning to being fruitful? Well, it starts with a seed, right? Seed is faith. So if we got follow back through Second Peter, uh, uh, where were we? Uh, 1, 5 through 9, he talks about um, adding to your faith virtue. So the seed starts with the word, and when you hear the word, faith begins, right? But you aren't finished there. Just because you said, Jesus be my Lord, that's the beginning, that's the seeds of faith which start to grow in you. So, so that's the beginning uh, of your, your growth, of your maturing is that faith. So then he says, add to your faith virtue. Virtue is like that seed that gets put in the ground and now you have to water it. Right, and water is symbolized in the scripture uh, as the Holy Spirit—a well of water within you, or, or the rivers of living water. So, so you're adding to this faith now when you accept Jesus as Lord. The Holy Spirit comes within you, and He waters that word. Right. And so, so you've got to add to your faith virtue. And then knowledge. So a seed needs fertilization. You've got to add some substance, some nutrients to the soil for the seed to grow and to where it becomes a plant and can bear fruit. And that's knowledge, which we know is the word, right? So we need the word of God. We need the written word of God. We need the spoken word of God. We need the word from one another. You know, we need to build one another up with the word of God. That strengthens us. And these things, adding of the Holy Spirit, adding of the word, they're not once and done. It's a continuous part of being diligent to add to your faith virtue, add to your virtue knowledge, add to your virtue self-control. So what happens in the parable of the sower of the seeds? We see that there is a, a seed that falls on good ground, but then what happens? The, the thorns and, and the weeds grow up and choke it out, right? So, and those are the cares of this world and deceitfulness of riches. So self-control says, no, those things will not be my God. Jesus will be my God the Lord of the Lord of hosts he's my God my father i will follow him only and do what he tells me to do so all these things of this world we have to be we have to exercise self control so we add to our faith virtue virtue knowledge and then add to it self control so that so that this beginnings of our christian walk can begin to bear some fruit but we're not there yet right so now so now this fruit has to be protected right can you like we have some apple trees in our yard and and every every fall when you start to look for the fruit well all through the summer we look at the leaves and there's blight and there's spots and there's things and the apples are very small and gnarly and holy because we didn't protect the the fruit from from the from the insects and from the mold and the different things that come on uh onto the tree and it's the same with us in our walk we have to add to our walk to our self-control perseverance right we need to be we need to persevere when we are attacked we need to persevere when people come against us and say well you're just a bunch of haters if you don't believe our lifestyle no we love god and god loves you too And we're not going to fall away because of these attacks that come on us. We need to persevere. And then uh, in order to uh, add to our perseverance to continue growing, now we have to add that godliness in. So we need to, to to bear some fruit. Only Christ can bear fruit. Apart from him, we can do nothing. But with Christ in us, we can, we can bear much fruit. And, and so, so for us to bear fruit, we have to have that life of godliness. That's why Peter's exhorting us to walk out that, that life of godliness that's in us. And then, and then finally, as the tree grows and begins to bear fruit, um, then it needs, to, in order to be more productive, it needs to be pruned. And this is that brotherly kindness and love. Jesus said that the Father only chastises, only corrects, only disciplines those whom he loves and he does that so you can bear more fruit so so this is this whole growing process that god has for us to follow and peter's laid that out for us and this to be diligent in all these things and it's a continual thing season after season season after season season after season and saints i think we've come a little bit to a place where maybe we've gotten just a little bit too restful i'm comfortable where i am i'm okay i don't do anything bad anymore that you know of or that you admit to uh, so so why you know why, why the pressure Gordon well the pressure is this that there's people out there who need to see God in you and he's not going to flow through you if you're not diligent to continue to grow and mature in the things that he's called you to and uh, so it's important to follow through uh, in these last days and we know there's evidence when we're not being diligent because we'll start to fall back into our old ways, our old patterns, our old grumpiness, our old sinfulness, our old short-sightedness. We'll lose sight of the bigger picture and we'll begin to look just like the world and then the world's like, why do I want any of that? That's not how we want to be. All right, so let's carry on. He even continues with this idea of diligence in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 and 11. He says, therefore, brethren... Be even more diligent, more diligent, more diligent, more oil to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and the Savior Jesus Christ. You know, that latter part of that verse is just so exciting to me. It's so glorious. So an entrance, you know, the gates to the pearly gates, Apostle Peter, whoever's there, I don't know, right? He, wide open, welcome, come on in. You've done a wonderful work in the earth. Enter into my rest, my good and faithful servant. What a glorious entrance will be provided for you, um, so if you're the more diligent, right? But the first part of this verse in verse 10 is the question that I have for tonight. Be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. Is it possible that our call and election is not sure? Is it possible that we we could fall away? Or, 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 Or is that kind of like, you know, negative? We don't want to talk about that, right? So when you think about that, we'll talk about that a little bit more. But again, as before, we do that. Let's get into the latter part of this first chapter. And again, Peter didn't write in chapters and verses, but, but it's easier for us to digest it when we look at it this way. He comes back now into into this uh, of, of of authority. So he's he's telling us to be diligent, and now he's going to come in and say, "Look, look, I, I, this is who I am, and this is what I'm standing on. This is why you need uh, need to do it." So Second Peter chapter one in sixteen and eighteen. Peter says this, we did not follow cunningly devised fables. In other words, I'm telling you the truth. When we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And this is uh, in verse 17, he talks about the Mount of Transfiguration. Peter was there. He said, "He he, Jesus, received from God the Father honor and glory. When such a voice came to him from the excellent glory, the father said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. Peter saying, look, me, James and John, we were there. We saw this. We know that Jesus is the son of God. We know the father spoke to him as a son. You have to believe our word because we were there. How do we overcome? By the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. This is Peter's testimony. And uh, so he's standing on that authority. Uh, But then he goes on. He says in, in, in verse 19, he says, And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation for prophecy never came by the will of man but holy men of god spoke as they were moved by the holy spirit so peter's saying look not only was i there but what i saw and what i witnessed was prophesied in the testament in the old scriptures that that you as jews would know Uh, and, and so you have the authority of the word and the authority of my witness. It's great in in one of the principles of studying the Bible is that you always look for two or three witnesses to verify a truth. If you see one, one concept, but you don't see it anywhere else in the Bible, it's probably not as robust or as strong a concept as if you see it verified over and over again. Let every truth, and it's one of the laws in the, in the old uh, Hebrew where they would you know, bring someone before a court, they needed two or three witnesses to establish the truth. They wouldn't judge somebody based on one person's testimony. So here, Peter saying, I've got two witnesses, I've got my own eyewitness, and I've got the scriptures to back me up. And for us, as Christians, we, we studied last month that Timothy said essentially a similar thing. Now, Paul, not Timothy, Paul, when he wrote to Timothy, Paul didn't stand on being an eyewitness of Jesus because he, he wasn't. But what Paul stood on as his personal testimony was the sufferings that he endured. He said, you know... If, all the different and Timothy was with him through many. He said, all the different things that I suffered, that's why you can count on the fact that this is true. Because nobody would go through this stuff if this was a lie. Right? Just, there's, no, there's no gain, it's all suffering. Um, and so he stood on the fact that he suffered. But also on the scriptures, we'll look at 2 Timothy three fourteen through 17. He said, but you, Timothy, and us, church, you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them and that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. A scripture we love to turn to, uh, to support our studies. But Peter refers to the scriptures, Paul refers to the scriptures saying, look guys, there's some authority in here. Pay attention to this stuff. This isn't wives, tales, or fables. Then Peter warns us in uh, verses 21, uh, chapter 121 and and through chapter 2, verse 2. Again, we'll read this uh, consecutively, not as chapter and verse. Um, Because he's continuing on with this idea of, of the prophecy. And he says, prophecy never came by the will of man but by, a holy, by, by the holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit, for chapter 2, verse 1. But there were also false prophets among the people. Even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction, and many will follow their destructive ways, because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. Peter is warning the church that there are false teachers among us. And we saw this last month, too, uh, when we studied Second Timothy. I'll remind you of what we read there: uh, Second Timothy chapter four. Uh, verses 1 through 5. Uh, again, more details last month if you want to go back and pick that up. I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who will judge the living and the dead at His appearing in His kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready. In season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. For the time will come, the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. So, so again, two witnesses, Paul, Peter, both saying, wake up, church, look out for the false teachers who will be among us. They'll be in secretly. You might not even recognize them at first, which is why you need to be diligent to be in prayer and diligent in the Word of God, the Scriptures themselves, and allow the Holy Spirit to help you rightly divide those so that when you hear teachers, um, you can, if you got an ant ah in your spirit, you can go dig into the Word and find out why. Right? You don't necessarily judge what you heard, but you, you, you go test it and find out if, if it bears witness. And if you have a question, if I say something that sounds false, Come and talk to me. I'm okay with that. You know, um, we're we're all human, and there are there are opportunities for error. Um, we trust that we're being led by the Spirit. But if you have got a question, that it's better to get it out and clarify it than it is to harbor it, and then suddenly the devil grabs that and starts to build division in your life. And we don't want that. So so there's a lot of text in Second Peter about these false teachers. Um, and he, and he just rips into them and you can imagine how we learned about the apostle Peter how he's just this passionate guy and he's, he's a rough cut fisherman and he just lets people have it right when you read Second Peter you see that in there there's just so many amazing words and I, we don't have time to go through and just, you know, uh, just enjoy them because <laughs> they are pretty harsh uh, presumptuous he says self-willed despising authority brute beasts I like that one they're brute beasts um, spots and blemishes carousing in their own deception um, and, and, but he does say that they're destined to receive God's judgment as a result but here's what I want to get to uh, tonight and that is that there, there's a reason that Peter is so concerned about these false teachers he, he's, he's got a passion for the will of God to be done on the earth uh, as it is in heaven and he's begun to see the destruction that these false teachers can bring. <sighs> uh, so I'll put this down and uh, carry on. Let's look at Second Peter chapter two and verse 18. Uh, and we'll carry on through verse 22. For when they speak great swelling, these are the false teachers, when they speak great swelling words of emptiness, they allure through the lust of the flesh, through lewdness, the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption, for by whom a person is overcome, by him also he is brought into bondage. For if... After they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome. The latter end is worse for them than the beginning. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. But it has happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returns to his own vomit, and a sow having washed to her wallowing in the mire. So I want to call to your attention again and we'll read it again, Second Peter one four, which I highlighted in the beginning of the night. <clears throat> By which we have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature having escaped. You see that phrase, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Now if we go to 2 Peter 2.18 that we just read, it says, For when they, the false teachers, speak great swelling words of emptiness, they allure through the lust of the flesh, through lewdness, the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error. What Peter's saying here is that these false teachers are so subtle, so wily, so tempting, so horrible that they can actually pull you and me away from our faith that's how dangerous they are and 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 so why he spent the time on the diligence is so that we are not caught up in those traps but this is a danger that we can have but but if you think about the phraseology that we hear today when it comes to god it's easy to see how this would happen god wants me happy Is that a true statement? You could preach a message on it. God wants me happy. But you can see through the lust of the flesh to be happy that we could be drawn away from the other aspects of the gospel, right? God made me this way. Did God make us? Yes. But did he make you, did he give you that evil spirit that's coming out of your mouth right now? (laughs) No, right? So, but God made me this way. So so why why would he judge me if he made me this way? Ministers have gone off and run with that. God knows my heart. Yes, God knows everything. And there's some stuff in your heart you got to clean up, buddy, right? But but God knows my heart. God loves everybody. True statement. You could pull some scriptures out and build a sermon around that, right? So so these are kinds of preaching that you need to watch for because is if they don't include repentance and accepting Jesus as your Lord, then they're false teachers. If they don't include change from the old way to a way of godliness, then you are in the wrong church. There has to be a change. There has to be godliness. There has to be growth. And there has to be a desire to bring others knowing that Christ is coming back for us. There you can see true teachers from false teachers. False teachers sound good. They they make you feel good. They pat you on the back and say you're okay. And they send you on their way after they ask for a donation. There's much, much more to the gospel than those things that are scriptural but not complete. But take heart in the midst of of Peter describing how awful these teachers are and how brute beastie like they are, if that's a word, um, in the middle of of this, uh, in Second Peter, like through chapter two, four through ten, in that in that range, um, God says this, and he, and, he, and Peter goes on. He goes on about you know, look at Solomon and go. Solomon. Sodom and Gomorrah, you know, look at Noah and the days of Noah. Look at all this judgment on the angels. He says, but look, if God did not spare the rebellious angels, the unrighteous in Noah's day, the wicked in Sodom and Gomorrah, in 2 Peter 2.9, he says, then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. So there's good news that God knows you and He knows He can bring you through this. But the key here is that you've got to let Him. You can't let your flesh become your Lord and follow after the things that feel good. You have to stay focused on the Spirit of God who's in you to lead you and guide you into all truth so that you can overcome the temptations when you hear them and they will come. And they do come. Second uh, Timothy, Paul makes a similar statement in 2 Timothy chapter 2, 15, through uh, 19, he says, Be diligent. Is that word again? That extra oil. Be diligent to present yourselves approved to God. A worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, but shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness. And their message will spread like cancer. Pemenius and, and Philidius or Philist I don't know how to say that are of this sort who have strayed concerning the truth saying that the resurrection is already past and they overthrow the faith of some as a result nevertheless this this is what I want to get to nevertheless the solid foundation of God stands having this seal this seal this thing that you know that the Lord knows who are his and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. So so hold on to those truths even as you find a swirl and a whirl of things that are calling you in different directions hold on to these truths and God will bring you through. He will bring you through. He knows who you are. But you can't sit back and go the Lord will bring me through. I don't have to do nothing cuz the Lord's going to bring me through. No. He, he needs you to be his sons and his daughters. He needs you to look like Christ so he can come back. There's a work to do, and he'll bring you through. Sound like Pastor Ray? A little rhyme, you know? <laughs> okay. Then Peter goes into some warnings. Second um, Peter chapter three now, first four verses, and this is the, one of the key verses. Beloved, now I write to you a second epistle. In both epistles, of which I stir up your, pur- your pure minds by way of reminder, that, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets, go back to the scriptures, and the commandment of us, the apostles, the folks who know, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lust, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the day the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. You can hear that in the world today in different ways. Ain't no God. Where is the evidence of God? Science tells us, blah, 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 blah. Now, I studied engineering. I, I love science. I believe in science. I think there's a lot of good stuff in science that delivered us some wonderful things. Uh, so I'm not anti-scientist or anti-science. But when science confuses things compared to the Word of God we have to draw the line, right? So, so, and we have to learn how to understand and reconcile those. So, but the one, my point is this. My point is this, that, that scoffers are here. They've always been here. There's no God. Uh, you said this was going to happen. It didn't happen. I don't see any change in your life. What do you mean things are better for you? You're living in poverty. Where's the, you know, where's, where's, the, where's the, the wonderful lifestyle? That's not what salvation is all about. That's one of the benefits, but side story. But let's see how Peter addresses this. In 2nd Peter chapter 3, we'll read verses 5 through 9. He says, "For this they willfully forget. They willfully forget that by the word of God the heavens of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water by which the world that was then existed perished being flooded with water." First of all, what Peter's saying to us is, look, there are people who think God didn't do any of this. That we evolved from a big bang, right? they willfully forget, they choose to deny the existence of God. And, and, and obviously we need to stand up and say there's a God, but our authority can't just be the scriptures. Our authority has to be the evidence of our lifestyle. Because there, uh, people who are, who are scientists who are going to look at this book and go, All right, well, how can you prove it? How can you repeat the experiment so you know it's true? You can repeat it when when you come and you sound like Jesus and you come and you sound like Jesus and you come and you sound like Jesus. I come and I sound like Jesus and then they're going to go, wow, there's a love and a power and an evidence that I've never seen before. Then they're going to have a proof, the same kind of proof that you and I have. That inner witness that says, this is real, this is true. I want some more of that. I may not be able to repeat the experiment in the scientific method, but I know for the fact that Jesus is Lord and God created everything. That's where, the, that's where that's going to come from, right? So they willfully deny all that stuff and they deny that God brings a judgment on those who disbelieve. So, you know, we know the story of Noah's Ark and it's funny you see all these things come up on MSN homepage or whatever. Now they're looking for Noah's Ark here or they think they discovered it there. Well, well, do you even know why there was a Noah's Ark? Let's talk about the judgment, can we? Right? Let's talk about the unrighteousness that was on the earth. That's the important discovery. And how can you be saved from that unrighteousness? Where the Ark sits, even if there's any remains of it. Cool. Neat to know. But let's talk about the judgment, can we? They deny there's a judgment. Judgment. Um, but, but don't forget this one thing Peter says in chapter, eight, uh, chapter 3 verse 8 don't forget this one thing that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day the Lord is not slack concerning his promises as some would count slackness but is long suffering he's patient toward us not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So here's the heart of God's will. Why hasn't he coming back for us yet? Why weren't we saved and taken up into heaven once we asked Jesus to be our Lord? Because he wants everybody to be saved. But his authority on the earth is in mankind, and it's in us, the church, and it's up to us to bring that salvation to everybody so all can be saved. Then he comes back for us. That's when he comes back. So, so this waiting, this anticipating his coming back is great. And we should do that. We should watch for him. We don't know when he's coming exactly. But in the meanwhile, we need to be diligent to work. We need to be diligent to bring as many people as we can because we can't forget the judgment that's coming on those who choose not to believe. There's a judgment coming on those who choose not to believe. But it's not an unfair judgment because he gives everyone the opportunity to believe. So, if you believe, you will not receive the judgment because Jesus took the judgment for you so that now you can walk in his righteousness and be saved. That's a whole other message. But that's the gospel, right? So, so it's important to understand that, God, that Peter's not slack. Uh, Peter, God, Peter. Yeah. God is not slack. He will come when the time is right to come. But meanwhile, we must work. We must do the work uh, that he's called us to do until he has come. He is so, so patient. Um, everyone needs to have the opportunity to be saved. Now, let's look at how he closes out this letter, as, as, we, as Pastor Michael would say, as I'm beginning to wrap up. <laughs> uh, 2 Peter three ten uh, through 12. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Yikes. <laughs> Double yikes. Holy, I mean, that's bad news unless you're in Christ. So he goes on, he says, therefore, verse 11, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of person ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of the Lord because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Verse 13, nevertheless, we according to his promise Look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, verse 14, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blemish and blameless. Consider that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation. He's waiting until salvation comes to all of mankind and people have the opportunity to accept or reject. As also our beloved Paul, according to the wisdom given to him is written to you, as also in all his epistles, speaking to them of those things in which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction as they do the rest of the scriptures. And he concludes with you, therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, be aware, lest you also fall from your own steadfastness being led away with the error of the wicked. Oh, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory, both now and forever. Amen. That's a powerful letter. It's a powerful, sobering letter written to the early church to say, step it up. Written to us today saying, step it up. So let me summarize We have the divine nature of God in the beginning. We talked about that. We're no longer a slave to our sin nature. We have His nature. We've escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. We must be diligently working out who it is that is in us. Diligently working Him out so that everything that we say, every look that we give, every touch that we make, every word that we say represents Jesus. That's possible that's not in the sweet by and by that's for now you see when he comes we'll be like him and he and he will be among us once we're all in heaven together in in, after after uh, we've been raised up but for now he lives through us we are his hands and his feet on this earth we lose sight of that the ways of this world are so busy the tribulation the challenges the disappointments so oppressing But no, Christ is in us. The hope of glory. Losing my voice. All right. So, diligently working these last days, look, be prepared. False prophets, false teachers are are already among us. Know the scripture. Know the author of the scripture. Know the letter of the Lord of the law. Know the spirit of the law. Be able to speak to these things within a timing when you're comfortable and a timing when you're not, in season and out, right? <clears throat> know the authority of the apostles. If someone comes preaching something that Paul didn't preach, it's probably not right, right? <clears throat> know their testimonies, know their sufferings, and don't be drawn a- away by apparent liberties or comforts by false Christs or false teachings. And know this, that the Lord is coming back, but His desires that none should perish Uh, But the ungodly will face a judgment. And so that's where we need to be passionately stirred up to recognize the fact that those who don't see Christ, see the evidence of a loving God in us, may not accept Him as Lord. If all they see is a bunch of rules and a bunch of hypocrites and a bunch of scripture, they're not going to accept that. And they're going to suffer in fervent heat when the Lord comes back and the heavens and earth are destroyed and there will be an eternal judgment for them. I don't want that to be on us. I don't want that to be on us. I want Christ living through us individually and collectively in this body. And when we have that, there will be a line out here to come in and to learn more so that they also can be diligent adding to their faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness brotherly love so so that's the message that god has for us tonight that we need to be steadfast and to be diligent to make our calling and election sure and don't underestimate the temptation of the false teachings of the temptation of the world don't underestimate that even you who might have been grown up in the church and been a strong christian for 40 years you can be drawn away God knows how to keep you, but you've got to keep with God, right? Together, we will be saved. But once we're separated, we're vulnerable. So it's really important that you recognize these risks and uh, be aware of them. And that's what Paul emphasized to Timothy and Peter emphasized to, to those of like precious faith. And that's what the Lord is emphasizing to us tonight. Let's close in some prayer and allow this word, this this word to sink into us and to stir us up. Father, thank you for this word that you've given us tonight. Thank you for this exhortation, for this encouragement, for this stirring up. Thank you for this correction, Lord, if, if we have been slack where we need to be diligent. Thank you for reminding us of the mission and the purpose, which is that all men should be saved that your will will be done on the earth and that you need us here to accomplish that and we need to cooperate with you. Thank you for reminding us of a judgment to come, how we need to pull people out of the fire, save them, not by our power or by our might, but by your spirit. Teach us, Lord, individually how you want us to walk this out. Help us, Lord, as a corporate body to encourage one another to walk this out. And help us to see the change that comes as a result that we would see the fruit and not be unfruitful. We thank you for this, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.